Welcome to the True Voice Podcast with your host, LaShawn Smith. Hey, welcome to True Voice, where we learn more about today through stories from amazing people. This is season two. I'm your host, LaShawn Smith. Here on True Voice, we talk with people who have remarkable stories that entertain, teach, and offer a human perspective on how today's most pressing topics remain deeply connected to our past. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to you joining us each week. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Dukes. Welcome to the show. All right. Thank you. I'm just honored to be here. Yeah, we're going to have a great conversation. Now, you're a pastor and leader of a nonprofit called Operation Restore. I want to talk more about the nonprofit, Operation Restore, and uh, kind of connect it to your story. So before we get into to your current organization, let's go back to kind of the beginning. Where were you born and raised? What was your early childhood like? Well, I was born and raised in Riviera Beach, Florida. Well, I was born in West Palm Beach, actually, on 4th Street, 1957. And at that time, well, certain black people were not allowed to be born at St. Mary's or Good Sam. And hmm. I was born in the doctor's office. I was raised by my grandmother and an aunt. That's where I got my values from. My grandmother was born in 1893, and she died in 1975. She was a devout Christian. But I wasn't trying to hear that Christian thing, man. I wasn't trying to hear none of that. You know, I got caught up in a lot of different things, but I was not raised in the street. I was raised in a good home. We didn't have a lot of money, but we had sound structure. We had respect. We knew as much as we could about who we were. And I grew up with a strong work ethic from my grandmother, whose parents were slaves. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I want to come back to that because um, both the work ethic and those values, that kind of comes full circle for you. But, you know, at a certain point, you started to take a different route. First, I want to break this into two questions. Okay. What led you off the path of what, you know, your grandmother was instilling in you and kind of how did that get started? Well, I got off the path. First of all, when I I was growing up, I didn't have a father. Mm -hmm. But the guy who I thought was my dad was not my dad. Hmm. Uh, and me and him did not get along. And mm-hmm. um, that kind of exacerbated the problem. But my grandmother had a lot of, and my aunt, Awula Norris, and her husband, Henry Norris, had a lot of influence on me because they gave me love. So, and then and I really can't, and I have to say it like this, I really can't use that as an excuse by not having my father because I had them. But I really got, but that was a part of it. But the major part of it was when I got old, about 14, I started experimenting with stuff, you know, different ideas. I used to sit down and wonder, what what was a high? What is a high? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are these things? And I had a pimp in my family by the name of Charles Wesley Hales, <laughs> a.k.a. Honey, a.k.a. James Brown. And he taught me the game. And he was a singer, too. Okay. Uh, he could really sing. That's something that runs in my family. And uh, I got off track. When I was about 14, I, I tried, the first time I got high, I got high by myself. I wanted to know what it was. And then I was around that age, I started having sex. Well, should I say, these girls started having sex with me. <laughs> and okay. uh, uh, those things kind of pulled me off the path. So I used to watch these. I got drawn in with the allure of the hustlers and these pimps and the conversation and the excitement that it seemed like exciting to me. And that mm-hmm. drew, that's what drew me off the path. I was now, selling drugs. At, I started selling dope at about joints around 14, but real strong about 16, from 16 to 21. 
let's unpack that. First off, is Honey your your grandmother's son, or this is the other? Yes, yes, he's my grandmother's son. Okay, so this woman who had all these values, she has this son, and it's like you got two family members giving you alternative paths, almost, right? Exactly, exactly. When I was see, when I was a kid, my uncle he was hustling, doing stuff. Actually, he was a gospel singer. And okay. uh, we got the story as I, after I got grown. And he got born again. Well, he stopped following Christ the way he should have after he got out of prison. But mm-hmm. he had a philosophy when he got angry with life because of the situation growing up in Georgia, you know, and not having the opportunities he thought he ought to have. He said God wasn't moving fast enough for him. And you see all this hustling going on in your community. I, I call it lawlessness because it was not going on everywhere. Uh, right. All these pimping in the horn and the drug dealing, that majority goes on in black neighborhoods. Hmm. Okay. And he was uh, watching him. That's what got me. Wa- mm-hmm. Watching him, listening to him. And, and you know, you're growing into your manhood and you think that's cool. And you see all these girls and you just get s- drawn in. Wow. Okay. So, honey is on, I mean, that name is is like made for a movie. He's giving yeah. you this, uh, you know, exposing you to all of this. And uh, you were talking about, you know, getting high for the first time. At 13, 14, where do you even buy the drugs? Like, like I mean, is it just so pervasive where you like, I know where to go? Some of the same places where I sold dope in Revere Beach today. And that's been over uh, almost 40 years ago. You buy drugs today at them same places. Wow. They haven't even moved their location. Yeah, it, so, the, the players have changed, but it's a thing, man. It's a it's a social, I call it social breeding. Wow. I mean, it makes sense even when you say it like that. Now, you went from trying it to selling it, as you said, you know, kind of uh, 15, 16. What's that, that switch that goes off that says, I'm going to go make some money off of this and I'm going to actually, you know, kind of dive in and, and get in these streets? Well, what it was, I always kept a job. My mm-hmm. aunt taught me how to cook, and they taught me my, my what I call my life skills. I opened Community Hospital of the Palm Beaches when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I was ooh, I was seventeen. I was seventeen. I got the job, and I started washing dishes. They wouldn't give me the cooking job because I had already had cooking jobs. I had jobs at New England Oyster House. I would lie about my age, but I was always selling dope on the side. But I was taught in the game keep some cover on you. So mm-hmm. I kept me a job, kept me a job. But then this lady, when she gave me the job and I worked it and they had a guy in there cooking named Leo and Leo couldn't cook worth a nickel. <laughs> when I was cooking and the people on the, in the hospital knew I was on the line, that place would be full because I did mm. it the way we cook. But right. she didn't want to pay me. Uh, her name was Armstrong. She didn't want to give me the same pay that mm-hmm. she was giving Leo, and I knew it. And it, and it struck me one day, why am I doing this? Because I'm selling nickel bags at this time in, in uh, Peel, it was called Quaaludes, and I'm making more money selling dope than I'm on this job. And I just got real angry one day. I said, the heck with this, and walked out. Mm. You said, that's enough. And that was the beginning of sorrows. Right. So in addition to... The drug game, you got, uh, you know, you were running women. Now, how did that work? How did, how do you even get exposed and know that idea? And then how do you pull it off, right? I mean, you got to have a look, you got to have an attitude, but yeah, how does that, you know, again, what's the evolution for someone to go from that being an idea to something you were actually doing? 
Well, see, the whole hustling game is nothing but attitude and vibrato. Hmm. All right. And then if something goes down, you're going to have to back it up, too. You can't just be running your mouth. But when you're talking about the hustling game, so when I was trying doing the pimp thing, the truth of the matter, it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. The reason it didn't work for me because I found out that I could not be vicious. I couldn't be the woman. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, I had already received Christ at 10 years old and the Mount Calvary Missionary Baptist Church. I heard the voice of God. My grandmom used to tell me about it, but I heard his voice. And I just ignored it. I want to do what I want to do. And the pimping game is just it's manipulation. You find some weak woman or some woman uh, that's got troubles and problems, and you sell her the dream. And she's already has this propensity or proclivity in her anyway, and you just breathe on it and bring it out. And then you got some women that that are exhibitionists. They love mm-hmm. hoeing. Ain't no if and but about it. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't stay in it because I, I knew guys that could beat a woman down like she was a, a cockroach. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. I couldn't continue in that. So I just mm-hmm. gave that up. That gave that up and just went to selling drugs full time. I says I, I can't do that. Yeah, I can talk trash now. Oh yeah, we can talk some game. <laughs> I, I couldn't be the woman. It just, yeah. it just that wasn't in me. Wasn't in you. So you're on this path. You're figuring out, you know, which lanes in the street you're gonna use to get money. Uh, you're getting money. You're running from the police all the time. You, you, you're probably feeling invincible. Well, see, hey, you know what? I'm gonna stop right there. See, that's the trick of the game. Hmm. You get away for a while. You get away. Man, you think you just got it going on, man. You the hottest thing since lava. You the coolest thing since the North Pole. And that is the lie that you believe about yourself while you're doing this. Because while you're doing this, you're not building your real skills. You're using your what I call your lower base nature. Mm-hmm. You're using that lower base nature. And you're really... And it's a and it's a lie. It makes you feel like you can just handle things. And then it's a spirit in this too. And it will turn on you. I don't know any hustlers other than this one you see in the movies that came out and they got this lifestyle that's so grand and beautiful. Mm, that's truth. Now, during that process, before you came to that realization for your personal journey, I mean, were you thinking, I'm not gonna get arrested? No one, no one's touching me. Of course. That's the mindset. Of course. Of course. Hey, th- th- that's a part of the egomania. And you're covering yourself mm-hmm. and you're making friends. Uh, I had a friend when I got busted. I had a friend at the police department. I would make friends with people who I, you know, thought that could help me. And when they came to get me, he had, he called me and let me know they were coming. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's networking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Now, while you're making this money, at some point you started to use drugs yourself. Again, it's always fascinating to me the moment from when you think about that to when you, you know, that becomes part of your life. What changed or what was the trigger for that to be part of your experience? Well, I was always using. Uh, for since teenager. I was always. So, so it was wasn't just that one time you were like, you, you kept on going. But oh, at some oh, point yeah, it man, became a problem. Using drugs for me was like watching a good sci-fi movie. Mm. I would, I did drugs just to see what they would do to you. They gave us a, a chart when I was in high school of amphetamines, barbiturates, all these different drugs, right? And there was don't use drugs campaign. So I went, got the chart, amphetamines, barbiturates, second all, chewing all, all that. I got a stash of every one of them 
and took them just to see how they make me feel. Wow. You use that as like your menu. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I did just to see how it make me feel. But my drug of choice was cocaine. I shot dope, uh, but I didn't like sticking needles in me. I didn't mm -hmm. get it. But I like being high because I like pleasure. Mm -hmm. But cocaine was my drug of choice. Mm. Now, during this process, you're living the life, right? You high on, on life, literally <laughs> and figuratively. At some point, you do get arrested. You're facing some years. What happens there? Well, what happened was I'm, I'm 19 years old. I'm at the height of my game and uh, I get busted. Now, all this while I'm doing cocaine, I got a serious cocaine problem, but I don't know it. Mm. And um, But at this time, this is 1978 I'm telling you about right now when I got arrested. Okay. I'm 19. I'm at the height of my, what I thought was my power. I'm jet black, six foot, four and a half, the cock of the block, according <laughs> to me. Yeah. And um, I'm doing these drugs all the while anyway. But when I got busted, I had, uh, they really got me, caught me with a lot more. But a friend, like I told you about my friend, uh, who was a, actually he was a janitor at the Riviera Beach Police Department. And they were in there chattering, talking about, we got, because I'd be out talking trash to the police all the time, you know, because mm -hmm. the principal. And, uh, and when I got busted, I had about 13, 15 charges of possession and sales. And I was on probation. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm 19 years old. I should have gotten five to seven years on the low end. I was actually looking at 15 to 20, maybe 25. Those possession sales. And, I, and they had me dead to right because it was somebody I was working with that was that did this. Mm -hmm. But what actually how I got from up under that, I only got one year now out of that. Mm. And to be honest with you, I was going to tell on everybody, including my mama, but I would have called her and said, Mama, you need to clean up because they're coming. <laughs> okay? But God, the Lord Jesus had spoke to me when I was in the cell. He said, plead out to one year. Plead guilty. He, said, just, he didn't tell me to plead out to one year. He said, plead guilty. Now, remember, I got born again when I was 10 years old. My mm -hmm. nana taught me about Jesus, but I didn't want to hear nothing about no Jesus, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I had I got caught up in all this other stuff, you know, but it was him using this to put me, start putting me back on the right track. Right. And I got one year, one year. Mm. I got one year out of all those charges. And cause he told me to plead guilty. I didn't know what was going to happen, but right. the judge hit the gavel and it was, um, he was supposed to run some of those uh, charges in different categories, possession and sales, this was uh, possession with intent to sell, but he ran them all together. And when he hit that gavel, that was it. And I got one year and they couldn't wow. take it back. Mm -hmm. And it was like a fluke in the trial. I was going, Oh God, thank you. But that didn't change me. No, okay. nope. Mm -mm, that didn't change me. So once you get in, you haven't changed. What changes you? What well, changes me? See, when I get in, I do the year, I make some other connections. I'm still got that bad attitude. I got that bad attitude, cock of the block. You can't tell me nothing, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But a uh, crack was not on the scene. Free Basin was. But I started smoking crack, man. And when I started smoking crack, my whole world went down. Mm. I had, um, but before I started smoking crack, I started selling just 
uh, selling heroin and, and, and cocaine. But I was behind the blue heroin one night. I got mm-hmm. $1,700 worth of dope in my pocket. Richard Lyles and Perry come walking through the door. These other guys, they're scattered. I got my dope in my pocket. I'm going, what's up, fellas? They don't know what I'm doing that yet because I'm keeping as low as what I can. Right. So I um, look at them. I'm being cool. I know if they shake me down, I'm done. I'm, I'm toast. Mm-hmm. They right. walk right by me. Ooh, and okay. uh, what, 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 tell me your name again. I'm going to say LaShawn. LaShawn. Let me tell you something, man. When they walk by me, I didn't feel butterflies in my stomach. I felt elephants and rhinos. <laughs> wow. Okay. And uh, the Lord spoke to my mind again. He said, now, if you got caught with that dope, you're going back for a long time. I'm six foot, I'm a six foot five. I weigh 190 pounds, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, what what am I going to do in prison? What you going to do in prison? This was thought came through my mind. If four or five guys get on you, what you going to do? Because that's what they do in prison. You get raped. Mm. Uh, the people who, who, who don't want to admit that, they're just fooling themselves. They need to tell these young boys what's going to go down. I went to the stockade, and a guy in the stockade told me, he was institutionalized. He said, you lucky that you didn't go any further than what you did in the penitentiary because they would have had you with all that hair on your ASS. Mm, mm, mm. And God reminded me of all that. And that night, Deshaun, I got delivered from selling dope. I felt a presence leave me. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't sell dope no more. I couldn't hustle no more. But I was still getting high. Uh, okay. Is this when you were running your production company? Right. This is when I, I was still doing my production company. I'm going to get this money. I'm going to talk about what I'm going to do. This is 1982 I'm telling you about now. Mm-hmm. But I then I lose all my stuff. I lose all my, my, my production company stuff because I started smoking crack. And what crack did, make a long story short, what crack did, crack humbled me. See, I got a serious dress code. But I was okay. sleeping in abandoned buildings. I spent all my money. I pawned all my equipment I had. Uh, me and my best friend was Philando Lamar Wilkins. He was a bass player. We got rid of all that stuff. Uh, he died with sickle cell. Good, my, I, he was closer to me than any brother I got. Mm. And uh, crack took me down, 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 down. I OD'd on crack three times. Wow. Three times. And when, when God delivered me from crack, that's when I went back to my fundamental teachings. Mm-hmm. But 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 LaShawn, I had I had LaShawn, right? Yes. LaShawn, I had smoked so much dope uh that I had to get a heart transplant. That's mm. how much cocaine I was doing. Wow. I got now, sick you, for eight go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say I, I wanna come back to that, but when you talk about that moment where you did get delivered, what was that? Like like what happened? I, I know there well, was there was there's a couple of folks involved that one night you had an incident, but like what happened to really like say, like, I'm making this change. I'm getting out of this. No, it, it wasn't me making the change. That, that's, that, that's not what happened. OK. I got a touch from God and I couldn't do it no more. OK. I couldn't do it. That crazy attitude. That mm-hmm. old, you know, let me see if I can do it. That old, you know, <laughs> it was gone. <laughs> right. I couldn't do it no more. I couldn't do it. And when I got off crack. Because uh, then from 1982 to 1988, I was still, I got on crack real bad, and he did crack the same way. But he let me go down. Crack was my chastisement and my protection of, that the Lord Jesus put in my life to keep me, keep my mind sane. And it brought me down and humbled me to let me know that he was God and I wasn't God because I still had that other attitude. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. 
I couldn't sell dope no more. I couldn't hold dope in my pocket. I couldn't walk the street. That's the pick at me. Tell me, Duke, what happened, baby? What happened, blackness? And then one, one of my friends said, Dukes, did they get to you when you was locked up? You can tell me. <laughs> His name was Jenny Craig. <laughs> I said, no, man, I would tell them the story. They would look at me like I was crazy because they mm. know how I was. Right, but right. He delivered me from selling dope, and then he delivered me from smoking crack. Yeah. And then you got this this heart transplant. How old were you then? I got my heart transplant five years ago. Mm -hmm. I was uh, 58 years old when I got my heart transplant, but I was sick for 18 years. Mm. Just carrying that from all those years. Yeah. Yeah. I was sick from 1999 real bad to 2015 uh, because my heart got down to 10 percent. And when my heart got to 10%, you know, I, I had to go on disability. I couldn't work. I just got married in 1994. Mm -hmm. My wife w walked me through that. My wife stayed with me and walked me through that. I never had a woman like my wife, not mama. The closest thing that I got to my wife had any experience to her is my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And she took care of me. And seeing the heart transplant was, a, was another humbling experience of him keeping me. Man, right. you know, I almost died a few times waiting on a heart. Um, they got a thing they call a VAD. That's when they take your heart out and they put this machine pump on your heart. You got to wear batteries and a, and a uh, harness uh, in, in front of you and it pumps your heart. I wore that for three years and you can't take a bath with it because these big batteries, you're going to get electrocuted. Hmm. So you got to take a wipe off. As they call that bridge to transplant. Okay. Then I got my heart transplanted December December uh, 14th, 2015. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's a journey now. Yeah, man. It, 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 you know, and, and it's, the heart is half my age. Okay. You said my wife said the rest of me still old, but now I got this new heart. I said, let me show you something. Now. Don't start. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Now you've been with your, your wife, what, 20 something years now? 27 years we've been married. Okay. And uh, you found your way, I don't know if you're still there, but back to the church that your family had attended? Well, see, my family founded this church. I was actually, as a kid, was being groomed to be the pastor. Okay. And what happened was uh, the Lord sent me back to the church. I mm -hmm. had got a job after he delivered me from crack in 1988. Uh, he delivered me from crack. I was smoking crack one day and he chastised me. Okay. He spoke to me. He, I can't even describe the feeling that he gave me. And this was not a nice thing, but he had told me, he said, now leave that alone. He's Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I was, I was an extreme, extreme. Everything I do is extreme. I don't do anything mid range. I don't do anything like that. Right. I, my life is in a life of extremes. If I'm in, I'm all the way in. If I'm out, I'm out. And I, and he knew what to do to me, but I had, I was so deep into it. The Lord came one day, I was smoking. I was getting high. He told me to put it down. Hmm. He said, put it down. I didn't put it down. I, was, I started giving him excuses. And he gave me a feeling that was so horrifying, so terrifying. I thought, and I knew I wasn't ODing because remember I had an OD three times. And yep. I start crying to him. I said, okay, God, I won't do this no more. I, I won't do it. I won't do it. And I have not smoked from that day to this one. And that's been 32 years. That's amazing. Wow. I mean, it's powerful. Now, from that point, you, know, you have this this turnaround after you've been on this wild journey. 
and you basically come back to your roots, right? What your grandmother had showed you. And you started a nonprofit called Operation Restore uh, right. there in Riviera Beach. And as I understand it, you go into these drug infested neighborhoods. You're engaging with teenagers who might be parts of gangs and uh, on this path where they're very vulnerable. And uh, you help them kind of understand and see the realities of what they're doing because so many folks on the streets are lost, right? They're um, right. Uh, not all of them are there because of conscious choices. It's kind of these implicit choices that compound. Now, as you go into these communities, how do you pull in these folks to have a conversation so they kind of look at your path and take some inspiration for them to make better choices for their own lives? Well, I do two things in this when I, when I do it, I want to tell you about. I just don't, I talk to them, right? Mm-hmm. And I just walk up on them and have a conversation. Because when you've been in the street, you know the marks. Mm-hmm. I'm, I meet a young man, I can look at a young man and tell what he's kind of doing by his mannerism, his this vibrato. Now, sometimes they got attitudes, because now, and this generation is different. When I was coming, we had attitudes, but we respected elders. Mm. We weren't going to cuss Miss Nifty out. We were gonna cuss Mr. John out. This generation is different. Okay. And some, not all of them, but the majority of them have no respect when you're hmm. trying to talk to them. All right. Yep. Another time, I I I can go into the the four mindsets that's on the street. Some of them you can talk to, and I just start talking about their future, what you want to do. Then I tell them my story, and most of them I have to see twice. Then somebody will tell them that know me. Oh no, he ain't joking, man. Or they have seen me on television because I talk to the guys on the street, but I also take dope boys territory. Mm. See, my when I when I when I come in, I want to take the territory where you selling dope at. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just starting back now. I'm in the fifth year of this heart transplant, but in 2001, 2002, we was raising money to take dope boys territory, give you a different outlet, but we're right. gonna take your territory. You ain't gonna sell dope in this neighborhood and create mm-hmm. this neighborhood because you don't want to work. Now, does that, you know, does that expose you from folks, you know, from violence, death threats, people, you oh, know. Oh, I've been shot at, at twice. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's documented. I've been shot at twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been, I, I get death threats. I got people in my city can't stand my guts. But mm-hmm. I tell them, I've been where you are. But I tell my black folks, I say, y'all are facilitating this because you don't want to hold up no high standards. Now, and it's different in any city, you, every city you go in, it's different, but there are no excuses for you to be a slave catcher in your own community because when you're selling dope, that's what you are. Mm. You're not selling dope trying to take care of your family. There's no lies that we accept in our society. And, and you selling dope because you don't want to work. You don't want to come up. You don't want to have no ethics, no strong social ethics about your life. You want to make all these excuses. And then while you're selling dope, you out here committing murder, death, and chaos in the black community, and I'm not a bigot. I'm not prejudiced. If my wife would have been white, I would have married her. But you're not going in a white folk neighborhood setting up nothing. Mm, that's you true. Not, it's not going to happen. So you're saying it's not happening in our neighborhoods either? It's, it's happening in our neighborhoods, but we allow it. Yeah, yeah. Your your mission is to to shut that down. Oh, I'm shut, yeah, we're going to shut all that down, and we're going to give you some opportunities to go do something else. Mm-hmm. But you got to pay the price to come up. See, a lot of these kids, some of them, they don't want to pay the price to come up. They think stuff's supposed to be given to them. But you always have, in each generation, you have people with that mindset. And see, in the hustling mindset for us, in our neighborhoods, when I talk to them, I say, dude, you can do something else. No, man, I, I get this all the time today. I'm 64 years old. No, man, the white man got me on lock. I say, white man got you on nothing. That's an excuse you're using. 
because you don't want to apply yourself. You don't want to go through nothing. You think everything's supposed to be easy. And these folks let you sell dope out here, but it's going to turn on you because you're killing each other. We didn't kill each other when we were, I was selling dope. You got pistol whipped when you messed that money up. That's what you got. Now you go get my money because a dead man don't pay. Mm. But they kill now. Wow. It's a different now, spirit. Yeah, you, I'm you not justifying about, the past now. I'm not yeah, justifying no, I, that. I get that. I get that. But I, I want to hit on something you said, kind of these four mentalities of the streets. Give me the high level. Give me the high level run through of what those four four mentalities well, of the well, street. Well, first of all, you got the guy out there who doesn't care about anything. You, your mama, his mama, and nobody else. He is true to the game. He sold out to the game. Mm. You got the other group that are followers, okay? They are followers, okay? They've been watching. They in line for this because they see this money. You got another group. They're followers too, but they haven't converted to that top line because this is a conversion process. As you go into it and you get deeper and deeper, you get socialized to violence, to murder. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then you got the watchers. Those are little kids that like I was coming, you see it happening. Then you get suckered and you got drawn into it. And those mm -hmm. are those four mindsets. Wow. And so it's almost you like you can a win those, those first two and some in that three category, but that number, that other category, you got to chastise them. They go to prison. They need to be locked up. But black folk don't like to say that because I was in that first category. I had to graduate. I kept graduating in that first category. You weren't going to tell me nothing. But when I got locked up, that began to change me. Then when I got chastised, that began to change me some more. Yeah, I mean, and I, I guess no matter how difficult a person's situation can be, sometimes it's hard to see how to, you know, just find the clarity in their current situation to get on the right path. So it sounds like that's, you know, part of the part of the work you're doing is to help give people that voice and help think about those things. Well, actually, actually, let me, let me tell you the truth about it. It's to challenge them to do what they already know. Hmm. They, they see the path, dog. They don't want it because, see, that money, when you get money, <laughs> that's a power. That thing make you feel so good. You're lazy. Hustling mm -hmm. makes you a real man lazy. Wow. Because you get this money so easy. You, you, it don't take no great mind to sell dope. Mm -hmm. All it does is be vicious and don't care about nobody. Don't take right. no great mind to sell dope. Now, there are some great minds selling dope. But it's not don't required. Take no great mind to do that. It's almost like while they're selling drugs to addicts, they're becoming addicts in a different way where they're they're high on the power and the clout and there the, you go, th dog. This, this ability to just, you know, lounge around. You sure you ain't been pimping, man? <laughs> I have not been pimping, but but this sounds like the framework you laying out. No, that's true. That's exactly what it is. That's a, you hit it right on the head. And this is why I tell folks we have to stop making excuses for people who want to do this behavior, especially in the black community. Mm-hmm. Especially in the black community, because when you look at the numbers, they are atrocious. For every one that the police kill, 250 die in our community by what we, I don't like the term black on black crime because a criminal is a criminal. Mm -hmm. But they killed 250 to one. I did the study wow. over a 10 year period. Mm -hmm. 250 to one. Mm. But nobody wants to talk about that. Right, right. But they, and, and this police killing is wrong too. Okay, it's wrong. It's, 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 it's horrible. Right. But when you got 250 to one, oh, yeah. there's something wrong with that picture culturally that we need to address. Absolutely. Burn down the neighborhoods when the police kill, do all this violence. And when the dope boys kill and the thug boys kill, you got candles and balloons. Hmm. Yeah. 
It don't make sense. It's something wrong with that picture. It's something wrong with that picture culturally. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you talk about culture, I know you're talking to children about their heritage, how to think about where they've come from. You know, what else do you do to kind of show, you know, these young people a better path? I teach black kids the truth about history. I have a master's degree in Christian education. I have a PhD in theology. I'm a student of world history. And um, I'll teach all kids, black and white kids, because white kids need to know too. Because mm-hmm. the teaching of black culture does away with bigotry. Because most black kids don't know anything about their culture. Oh, you can talk to them about stuff went on in England. You can talk about Russia. You can talk about the Queen of England. You can talk about who they call Charles the Great. You can talk to them about Napoleon. But they know nothing about their African history that is the foundation of human society and civilization. They know nothing mm. about it. They know nothing about what went on in Sudan. They, right. they don't even know that those people that you talk about in the Bible and the, what they call the Torah, all of those are colored people. There are five or six different shades of black people before we come to America. Mm. They know nothing about it. So I teach those kids their culture and move them away from bigotry and black supremacy, because there are some black supremacists out there. But they don't find out a little truth and talking about white people, the devil. But I teach these black kids, no, you can't get caught in that. But when you read that Bible, if you read about Adam and Eve, they look like Ozzy Davis and Cicely Tyson. Mm-hmm. Not Gwyneth Paltrow and Peter O'Toole. <laughs> okay. Now, how do you see those results manifesting? Oh, man, I see kids' eyes light up. I see the question mark going in their head. Like, is you lying to us? Because of how society is so ingrained, it sounds like foreign content. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you something else that's even more exciting than that. When you find out uh, a few years ago, my aunt died. She was born in 1919. I started teaching her when, before she died, and I could see wonderment on her face. Hmm. And when I'd go to seniors and teach them, and they'll be looking at you like, well, y'all trying to make the black people something. I said, no, we're not trying to make black people something. We're telling you what you were not taught that's true. And here's the evidence, the archaeology, the anthropology, and the DNA science. Mm-hmm. So even when you're going to some of those those older folks, they're so unaware of what has happened. They're looking yes. at it like, you're bringing something new. And you're like, no, I'm just shining a light on what was already there. Is you telling us the truth? Now mm. y'all trying to make y'all self something because y'all know we, it's almost, I, I created a, a term called niggerization. Mm. And, and it's the mindset of that the society, especially American society and in England, tried to debase black people into not knowing their history, making them feel like they were nothing in the past, not worthy in today's standard, and tomorrow you'll still be nothing. That's what niggerization is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now that you have this organization, you are on this path and this mission. I know you're using music to a certain degree to uh, kind of facilitate some of these conversations. How do you see the bad parts of today's music? And then how are you trying to combat that with some of the work that you're doing? Well, music, once again, we black folk, a lot of us, a lot of us, we don't like holding one another accountable. Mm-hmm. We say, well, they getting money, that's good. No, it ain't, no, it ain't. Cause a lot of this, I, I love rap music. I'm, I'm a R and B, jazz, funk artist, okay? Okay. But I like rap music. I like all forms of music. But we don't like holding one another accountable and telling them, hey, 
you making this music about killing and death and murder. Talk about you just talking about what's going on in the neighborhood. You're not just talking about what's going on in the neighborhood. You're glorifying it. Because mm. you wouldn't make a record talking about killing dogs. Get my AKA, pull it out, shoot that dog in the head, shoot that puppy in the mouth, take that cat, hang him up, shoot him flat, flat, flat. You can't put a record out like that. Mm -hmm. Talking about it's killing true. cats and dogs. They'd be all over you. Mm. But you can put a record out by killing blacks. Yes. And be accepted. Mm. And we culturally go along with it because we don't want to say nothing. We don't, want, we, don't, we don't like holding one another accountable. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about pulling one another down. You know, I, I don't believe in that. Right. I won't call some of those social names out there that's in a particular party that love pulling black folk down. No, no. Let's talk about what is. And mm -hmm. this rap music. It is not good for our children. We don't like to talk about them. We don't want to hold them accountable. Well, right. we're artists. I got freedom of speech. No, you're a programming. You do have freedom of speech, but we're going to call you out because you are not for the community. Don't put that garbage, junk, and mess out. And then at uh, Christmas time, you want to go buy some toys. Thanksgiving, you want to show up with some turkeys. Heck no. <laughs> I hear that. Now, now, hold up. Now, as we're wrapping up, I got a question I want to ask you. So let's let's kind of role play and let's go take one of those, you know, these rappers who are like or these people in the streets. It don't matter who they, who they are, but these cool. folks who who are taken away from the community and they say, well, Dr. Dukes, that's cool. You got this message now, but you went on your own journey. So like, you know, I'm going to get this now. I'm going to do this now while I'm young. And, and maybe I'll find my way to to what you're doing, but right now I'm gonna get what I, I need to get. Like, like, how do you contrast that with folks who are saying like, it's easy for you to say this now, Dr. Dukes, cause well, you know, you're not new, you're not as young as you used to be. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's exactly, you hit it right on the head, Doc. That's exactly what they say. I said, what you're doing, you're, you're, you're copping out, you're believing the lie you telling yourself. Hmm. Cause that's what you wanna do. You're gonna pay a price for that. Right. You're going to pay a price for that. You need to examine yourself. You need to look at yourself because what you are saying that you want to do is you want a life of crime. And you're going to either go to the penitentiary or to the graveyard. So look at why you're doing it. See, I ignored all of this. I, I had people talking to me, but I ignored it. I said, mm -hmm. I'm doing what I'm doing because I got converted. If I had not got converted, I would still probably be dead or in the penitentiary. Right. chasing this money and you're not using your mind you mm -hmm. going along with this because this is an easy road you need to be right. in school getting a degree and becoming socially productive mm. i'm doing it because i got converted right right i hear that's that. what i tell them they tell me, well i'm young i say well you're young you ain't gonna be young again you're gonna be like me you're gonna be 48 years going to school or you're gonna be in a wheelchair like a lot of my homeboys yep yeah, people don't have that clarity. It's back to that point when you don't have the right lens on all of this. You think you're invincible until you're not. <laughs> right. And you get challenged, but you got to pay the price for for what you're doing. There are consequences to this thing. I just happen to have a level of mercy. I, a lot of my homeboys dead. I got mm. one homeboy right now. He, he's just coming out of doing 36 years. Mm. Wow. Now, he did nine before. And then this last bit, he no, he got twenty eight years. Wow! I'm like, dude, you wouldn't tell me that. But he wouldn't listen. Mm -hmm. It's consequences to this thing. Right, right. Hmm. As we're uh, as we're wrapping up, what's the advice that you would give to 
people who are, you know, at a fork in the road. They're trying to figure out what, you know, like which direction they're going to go left or right. You know, what, what's something that you would leave us with? This is what I want to leave you with. First of all, I want to tell you, you need to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus, not religion. You need to have an encounter with him. Secondly, you're a young person. You are you in the street. You think you, you're doing this and you're doing that. You got a false image of what your future is. Think about yourself when you turn 35, 40 years old. Where is this going to lead you then? Where are you mm-hmm. going to wind up? Look at your 35, 40-year-old self and tell yourself, oh, I couldn't set myself up now because I wanted to be in the street. Mm-hmm. And now you don't have a productive life. You paying a price you didn't have to pray, pay because you wouldn't apply yourself. Listen, if you're black, life is difficult, but it is not impossible. You just got to have some, probably some self-control, some discipline. And use your mind. Be a mm. contributor to society and not become nobody's sucker for money and a fool out here in these streets. Excellent advice. Fantastic. Dr. Dukes, thank you for joining us today and sharing your journey. That was excellent to hear. Hey, man, my pleasure, man. I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys again. And if you go on Broad Jams and type in Philip M. Dukes, I got 22 songs on Broad Jams. We tried to get a million people to go on there and spend 2 to $5. We're going to go make sure we put the, the Broad Jams in the, the show notes so everybody has the links. Right. Yeah. Is, is that the best place for folks to find you online? Yeah, on, on Broad Jam. I, I'll make sure it's broadjam.com, artist profile, Philip. M. Dukes. All right. Excellent. I love it. And uh, thanks to everyone who is out there listening to our conversation today with Dr. Dukes. We hope you have enjoyed your time as well. Please leave a great review wherever you listen to our show. I'm LaShawn. Thanks again. And remember, dream big, stay curious, and always share your true voice. See you next time. This is True Voice.